We're in Revelation chapter 17, and my goal was to get us into chapter 18. That was my goal. (laughs) And we will dip our toes into chapter 18. That's about the best that we'll do. But there's a lot that I want to say here, a lot that uh, I put on the cutting room floor uh, and will not be saying, because there's, this, there's a lot here. I mean, we're talking about a passage that comes from, uh, and, and in 18, we'll still be able to deal with a lot of this, but Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, it's all throughout here, but we'll be able to catch it in chapter 18, so I think we're going to be fine here. Let me just read you chapter 17. Verses 15 through 18. 17, starting in verse 15. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they are the beast. They and the beast will hate the prostitute. They'll make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. And that's from Ezekiel. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is that great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Skip down into verse 9 of chapter 18. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, talk about Babylon, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They'll stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And then skip over to chapter 19. And that's all very dark and very difficult even language that uh, the Bible uses, so we have to use it. I find myself being a little uncomfortable using it, but I have to, because it's what the Bible says. So we talk about harlots and prostitutes, and, and uh, we have to do that. And uh, it, it, there's a great meaning to it, and there's a, important that we don't soft-soap it. Chapter 19, verse 1. And after this, talking about all the destruction of Babylon... After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he's judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever. And then it continues from there. And, of course, what we actually are seeing is um, we're coming to the end of the book. So we actually are in the last cycle, and we're talking about the great culmination and the great end of all things, uh, the Battle of Armageddon and the eternal state uh, and judgment and eternal state coming. So that's where we are, and that's where we're going. There was a literal Babylon, and there was a literal destruction of Babylon, that happened long before the book of Revelation was written. And by the time in the New Testament, there was no Babylon. And the prophecies of Jeremiah 50 and 51 were fulfilled. So time-wise, Jeremiah, who wrote those prophecies, lived during the time of Babylon and the Babylonian captivity of, of Judah and the destruction of the temple. God used Babylon to punish his people 
And then God destroyed Babylon. And that's a familiar story that we find often in the scriptures. A Babylon was destroyed, and under Cyrus, the Jews were allowed to return to the land and eventually rebuild the temple and the walls. You read about that in Ezra, Nehemiah, and, and Haggai. Okay. So when we talk about Babylon here, we're talking something symbolic. And that's very important that we realize it's symbolic. Babylon is now still with us symbolically, and she's always doomed to destruction no matter how prosperous and powerful she appears to be. Babylon never goes away. She reappears. She's destroyed, and she reappears. This happens to be her final destruction that we're talking about here, and that's why all of the rejoicing. But she's always doomed to destruction. So now to sum up what we've been to so far, as we've gone this far into the book, okay, just very quickly. There's Satan, the great dragon, introduced to him in in chapter 12. Okay, And the dragon has four helpers. We've now seen his four helpers. The beast, which is anti-Christian government, especially persecuting government. And you see that um, in in so many different forms and, and all time periods. The second beast that we call the false prophet, or the Bible calls the false prophet, which is anti-Christian religion. And in this gospel age, turning men and women uh, from the gospel to another gospel, which is not a gospel at all. Okay, And um, I've noticed lately just on television that, um, well, Scientology has been getting a really bad name in a lot of quarters. And now there's a pushback. I've noticed they have some television commercials promoting Scientology lately and the virtues of it. And um, really, no one should be deceived by Scientology, but some are. You know? So there you go. Then there's the helpers there. The beast, the second beast, or the false prophet. Babylon, that's what we're studying tonight, is Babylon. And Babylon, you know, it's, it's, it's really agonized long and hard trying to describe Babylon until I just went back to our old friend, William Hendrickson, in More Than Conquerors, and he said it so well. I thought, why am I agonizing over this so much? You know, William Hendrickson really hit the nail on the head. We could go into great big long diatribes and all kinds of ex- explanations, but Babylon is simply this. Within the culture, she's riding on the beast, right? Remember that? You saw that before. She's riding on the beast, The beast, of course, is anti-Christian government. As she rides on the beast, she is part of a depraved culture, a prostitute, so to speak, that glorifies outright sin and rebellion against God. She seeks to ride the beast in every and every time, past, present, future. And to the first century Christians, it was very easy for them to know who Babylon and the beast were, The beast was Rome, and Babylon was the wicked culture of Rome with their emperor worship and idol worship and the false prophet, and and Babylon was the wicked culture that prevailed in the Roman Empire. And even, if you want to see a picture of it, just remember the wickedness in the church in Corinth. So even the church had been infiltrated and affected with this type of wickedness. So Babylon forms alliances with anti-Christian government and anti-Christian religion. And I'll give a couple modern examples in a moment here. So 
Those are three of the helpers. The last of the helpers, um, and I'm putting, when I say Satan, I'm putting demonic spirits in with that too. Okay, so Satan and his um, invisible helpers, so to speak, and then the four visible ones. And then the last one is those, those with the mark of the beast. The lost who are against God. That's who has the mark of the beast. The lost that are against God, either passively against God or actively against God. And we saw them in 1715 again. We've seen them throughout the book of Revelation. But here they are again in 1715. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. That takes us back to 17, 1 and 2. Uh, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the judgment of the great prostitute who's seated on many waters. And then it goes on to say, With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. And so then it goes from there. I know if you haven't been here, this is probably a little confusing. If you have been here all along, I hope that you're able to track here. So, Babylon, wicked culture, those are the mark of the beast, those that are lost. And like I say, um, the mark is, is really simply ownership. That's what it is. God has a mark on those that are his, and Satan has a mark on those that are his, the mark of the beast. But the good thing is, Satan takes those that are lost and saves them and brings them into his own kingdom and makes them to be his children. And so it's not hopeless, you know, lost people. Without Christ, it's hopeless. But God takes his enemies and turns them into his children. Now, let me just go to a present-day situation. I get this from uh, the, the news site that is often satirical, but this wasn't meant to be satirical. This, was, this is true. This, sometimes they have... Uh, true things that they say here. And it really struck me when I heard about it, especially since it goes along with what we're talking about today. Talking about the persecution of Christians in present-day Nigeria. And I'll just read it and quote it here. They get their information from the Voice of the Martyrs, which I believe is a very reliable source. Um, Some things can't be known about persecution. For instance, we really don't know about all the persecution going on in China. Not every place in China has persecution. But there are places that does. It's a closed society. Don't know much about it. Uh, North Korea, simply don't know what's going on there. And there's other closed societies like that, too. And often when that person is being persecuted for being a Christian, um, their crimes are listed as something different than being a Christian. Okay, So they're not necessarily said to be, we're persecuting you because we're putting you in jail because you are a Christian. Quote, A young college student, Deborah Samuel, was dragged out of class, this is in Nigeria, stoned to death, and her body set on fire for confessing Jesus in an online message board. Her murderers were charged with disturbing the peace. Later, four gunmen opened fire and detonated explosives in a church on Pentecost Sunday, killing over 50 people. You didn't hear it on the news, right? They didn't talk about it on the news. Maybe they did, maybe you heard it. Depends what kind of news you're listening to, I guess. These are not isolated incidents. 
They are a pattern of extreme persecution of Christians that they now face in Nigeria. Nigeria considered the most dangerous place on earth to be a Christian. Last year alone, 4,650 Christians were martyred in Nigeria, and thousands more were kidnapped. Torture is a common among those who are kidnapped, and women and children are not excluded from this fate. Churches and Christian schools have been targets of arson, leaving a trail of burned buildings where Christians once gathered. And then, it goes on. Last year, our government removed Nigeria from the countries of particular concern. It was called the CPC. They removed them from the countries of particular concern watch list. This means that our government no longer identifies the persecution happening in Nigeria as a problem. They've turned a blind eye to the killing of Christians in Nigeria. This has only served to embolden the attackers and remove pressure from the Nigerian government to protect its Christian citizens. I do understand when we say Christian, we're talking in the broadest sense. Okay, this is those that confess to Jesus and uh, would and would have significant doctrinal differences with many of them, but that would not uh, be a point that we would want to stress here. We want to stress the persecution and their boldness to stand. Bloody Babylon, riding on the beast of anti-Christian government. Look at chapter chapter 17, verse 6. And when I saw, and I saw the woman, talking about Babylon, with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. So, in verse 15, Babylon, when she appears, is not only physical persecution, but anti-Christian culture. It's anti-God immorality, like we see in Sodom and Gomorrah. And even more common in the Old Testament is um, the kind of idolatry that Israel fell into, and that Judah fell into, and of course that God judged Israel, the ten tribes, taken away by Assyria, and then Judah uh, taken into Babylon and the temple destroyed. Now, I've said it's past, present, and future, Babylon, and it will be future until the Lord returns, okay, that there will be Babylon. She'll be destroyed, but she'll show up in other forms, okay. Have we seen this in our own country? We just have to think here. Look at um, chapter 17, verse 4. This is what she looks like. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations. Golden cup, you expect to have something really wonderful in it. Golden cup of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Okay. So she's a temptress. She is what the world offers to the lost. Really what the world will offer to anyone that's willing to take it. Proverbs 5, 6 and 7, we're not, we're not going to turn there. But uh, I hope, for those of you that have children, teach your children about Proverbs 5, 6 and 7. They need to know the dangers that are out there. And it's the wise father warning his son of the dangers that exist. It's, to me, they are vital chapters. You know. So Babylon is framed as... Adultery, framed as perversion, framed as sexual sin, and it is all of that. It includes pornography, but that's not all she is. Think of other things that warp people's minds, that cause 
a lot of difficulty in our society, talking about our society now. We don't have persecution of Christians, thank the Lord for that. Could that day ever come? Let's pray that it doesn't. Okay, let's pray that it doesn't, to the glory of God. Why would you pray for trouble? There's no reason to do that. But um, how about drug use? Think about the, the terrible fentanyl issue that's going on. It's always something. It's always something rises to the surface and causes some kind of a crisis. And I just have to ask myself, uh, why would someone take a street drug not knowing for sure what's in it, especially knowing that it may have fentanyl, and kill you? Well, there you go. How about abortion? We had an abortion protest ministry uh, that uh, was, I think, a very, very good thing, you know, and our brother Jihad headed that up, and, and we worked hard at it, and we, we, I think we did it the right way. I think we did it properly. And uh, the Upland Police Department got to know us and really appreciate us. So many of the policemen told us, you know, we, we agree with what you're doing. You know, we really agree with what you're saying. And we were respectful. We did not go on to their, uh, the Planned Parenthood property at all. We stayed the legal distance. We didn't uh, turn up... Uh, our sound system to, to harass people, but we did let it be known that we were against abortion. President Biden promised that he'd put a bill before Congress reinstating Roe v. Wade if the Democrats control the House and Senate. Now, you know, I don't talk about politics. I don't like to talk about politics. But here we're in a situation where we're talking about Babylon, and it interfaces with politics. It simply does. And um, the thing about President Biden here is that for almost all of his political career, and that's a long one, he was pro-life for almost all of his political career. But now he's touting abortion, you know, and claims that he'll put Roe v. Wade uh, before the Congress, you know. And then, if that's not discouraging enough, President Biden went to meet with the Pope. What did the Pope say? And Biden was, President Biden was very happy because the Pope said, no, American Catholic churches should not deny the Eucharist to American politicians who are pro-abortion. That's what the Pope said. Sounds a little bit more like the false prophet to me. Just being blunt here, in, infant, infant sacrifice has long been a part of the heathen Babylonian cultures. You go way back to the Canaanites. They were doing that, and then on through, and Israel often found themselves partaking in that too. Talking about Babylonian culture, what about crimes of all sorts? And Babylon isn't just those things. Okay, those are terrible things. Okay, admittedly so. But Babylon can be more sophisticated than that. Babylon can be anything that distracts us from God and takes our mind from God, takes our thoughts from God, and causes distraction. Anything. These may be things that are good or things that at least are indifferent but put in their wrong place, they become a problem. Babylonian culture. Look at uh, chapter 18. 
chapter 18, verse 4 and 5. Chapter 18, verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you partake in her sins, and uh, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins have heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Of course, chapter 18, I thought we'd get there, and now that I look at the clock, we probably could have, and I didn't even bring my notes with me because I didn't think we'd be done this, or getting close to being done this quickly. You know, we're not done yet, but I didn't think we'd get through this quickly. I've had a hard time judging my time in uh, Revelation. You know, so it's a different kind of literature than we're usually used to. But did you notice that? Come out from her, my people, lest you take part in her sins. Now, that's a call that still needs to be heard today as we live in our own Babylon and our own Babylonian type of culture. Um, It comes from Jeremiah 50, verse 8, which says, Flee from the midst of Babylon and go out of the land of the Chaldean. And Jeremiah 51, 45, Go out of the midst of her, my people. Let everyone save his life from the fierce anger of the Lord. Okay, so that was literal in Jeremiah. Jeremiah, they've just been taken to Babylon. And in 50 and 51, he talks about the judgment of Babylon that had captured Judah. And then he's given that cry, come out from her, my people. And of course, Jeremiah is the one who prophesied that the Babylonian captivity would last for 70 years. And Isaiah is the one who prophesied that Cyrus would be the one to allow the Jews to go back into to, uh, Jerusalem. And of course, uh, many of the critics say, well, now we know that there had to be at least two or three Isaiahs, with some of them writing way off into the future, but not back when Isaiah supposedly was written. And you say, well, how do you know that? I say, well, how could he name Cyrus by name and know who it was going to be? You know, more than a couple hundred years into the future. Obviously, it's somebody that was writing under the name of Isaiah. I'll just leave that one alone. Okay, so there you go. And then there's Isaiah 48, verse 20, which, believe me, even before the Babylonian captivity happens, Isaiah says, go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea. Okay, so there you go. Now, Babylon has reached into every culture. I've talked about our culture. But Babylon reaches into every culture, some more, some less. Sometimes it's on the rise, sometimes it's on the descent. Um, And of course, she does get destroyed. We're going to see that in just a moment here. But Babylon is past, present, and future. Can it be turned around? And it certainly can. It it really won't be turned around politically. That's why I don't talk about politics a lot. It won't be turned around politically. It'll be turned around by the people of God being serious about the things of the Lord, and the Lord sending revival, the Lord by his Holy Spirit saving people and and bringing them to a knowledge of the truth. You see, in Babylon, there's no fear of God. And Babylon is the pleasures of sin and the allurements of sin. That's why when we get to chapter 18 next week, uh, we're going to see why her death causes so much mourning and sadness in, in three classes of people that are mentioned the kings, the merchants, and the seafaring men. And we'll talk about that next week. 
She rides high, but look what happens to her in 1717. Okay. Okay, and first, let me go back to verse 16. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They'll make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. And so, you know, the very thing that she rides on turns on her and destroys her. Why would anti-Christian government want to destroy Babylon? You know, that doesn't make any sense. But it happens, it happens over and over again, and it makes a great deal of sense. Look at verse 17. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. So there is a good reason for it. She rides high and is killed by the very beast she rides on. And I would posit you this, that if sin were allowed to go on unchecked, none of us would be here today. If sin were allowed to go on unchecked, none of us would be here today. The world would have already been destroyed. But is the world destroyed? We're still here. When I was a, a kid, told the story before, some of you are old enough that maybe this happened to you. Although as I look around, I'm not sure any of you are. Oh, there you go. You guys are. <laughs> okay. Yeah, not to point you out. We were very much afraid. You are too, Mom. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. Although I don't know if they did this when you were in school. When we were in school, we had these nice little desks, you know, and um, we would have drills. If a nuclear bomb were to attack, you're supposed to get under your desk and hide. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> you know, but I remember being afraid as a kid. I remember one time, one time, you know, it was uh, during the time of Khrushchev. Khrushchev had taken off his shoe, pounded on the table, and said, we will bury you. I was like five or six years old. I go, what in the world? Yeah, we will bury you. What in the world? And I got on my bike and started riding. I was in Michigan, out in the country. I'm riding around thinking, we're all going to die. You know? <laughs> it's going to be horrible. You know, I don't want to be buried alive. And a five or six-year-old mind, that's what I was thinking. You know? Well, let me just say, if sin were allowed to go unchecked, none of us would be here today. The world would have already been destroyed. But it hasn't been. It hasn't been. And you know what? It won't be. It won't be. The destruction of the world at the end of time belongs to God and God alone. He will do it in his time and bring his people in to heavenly bliss and, of course, the great judgment for the rest. Now, how does this happen that the beast destroys Babylon? You know, Well, it actually happens by government crackdowns, usually tyranny. Usually tyranny that often comes after anarchy. Anarchy really can't survive for long. Okay, it simply can't. If you get to the point of anarchy, you're just about ready to turn the corner into tyranny. Now, it doesn't happen right away sometimes. Sometimes it takes time. But you will not go on indefinitely in anarchy. And it's God that causes this to happen. It's one of the ways that God restrains sin in a culture. 
So Babylon is morally corrupt. Her people praise wickedness as virtue and cannot tell morality from immorality. And uh, I was searching up many Bible passages towards this. I just center in on one, but really the Bible says this in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways. But Isaiah 5 verse 20, Isaiah 5 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Because they truly are spiritually blind. They truly are spiritually blind. And the people that will do this, their, their thinking is twisted. Immorality becomes a virtue. And as it says in Romans, they profess to be wise and become fools. Babylon rides on the beast. It's like they're one unit. And for a while they are. But it never stays that way. You know, it never lasts. God uses the very beast to actually judge and destroy the harlot. And sometimes it's at the hands of totalitarian governments. The people who lived without restraint are now enslaved. And wickedness is restrained because of a lack of freedom. We have been so blessed. You know, we have been blessed probably just, I don't know if I would exaggerate to say we've been blessed above all peoples. Be hard pressed to find a time in world history where people have been more blessed than the times that we've lived in. But we've also seen great horrors too, have we not? Finally, God will not be mocked, and when a society becomes morally degenerate and wicked, her doom is sure. It may not happen today, it may not happen tomorrow, it may not happen in our short lifetimes, but it will happen. And history proves that to be true. Maybe the greatest example is our brothers and sisters that lived in the first century that, that hear all of them, have this read to them in their churches and hear it, uh, know uh, something about uh, what we're talking about here. Let me see if I can find uh, the, the verse here. Um, anyway, um, yes, look at verse 9 of 17. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. And then go to chapter 17, verse 18. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Now you're sitting in a first century church and you hear that. What are you going to think? Who do you know that is being spoken about? It's obviously Rome. Rome was ruling the, the known part of the world, of the Mesopotamian area, and uh, on out, all the way into Spain. And the woman that you saw is that great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. It was Rome, built on seven hills, by the way. You know. And Rome was so powerful in the first century that it seemed impossible for it to be destroyed. And it did take time. And Rome got worse. By, by the time we're talking in the 3rd century, not 300, but the 200s, we're talking about martyrdom of Christians on a, a great scale. You know, there was martyrdom, but a great scale. It got worse before it got better. Okay. And, and while it wouldn't be a biblical study per se, 
uh, you read the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. And it's a good historical um, study of, of what we're talking about here tonight. But make no mistake, it's God who causes the evil power of the beast to turn against Babylon. And this is the way God works. He brings judgment. And he often uses the wicked to enact that judgment. Assyria on Israel, Babylon on Judah. But Assyria is judged and Babylon is judged. And Rome falls eventually. God judged the morally bankrupt and wicked culture. But the beast continues. Anti-Christian governments, often with persecution. The false prophet continues. Anti-Christian religion in its many forms. But when morally bankrupt Babylon is destroyed, her lovers lament her fall. And that's where we'll be next week, in chapter 18, which I hoped to go to this week and apologize that I just didn't uh, finish my notes on that because I said I've got way too much already. Okay, very good. Well, appreciate your patience. Sorry to bring such a disturbing message and, and such a, a bleak message. But I tried to let you know that it's not all bleak and it's not all discouraging because the destruction of those enemies of God is a cause for rejoicing. We, we don't take up arms ourselves to bring that about. Don't do that, you know. Uh, the, our, our warfare is spiritual, you know, and it's spiritual warfare that we're to engage in, you know. But um, like I say, these things have happened. These things continue to happen and will happen. So let's look to the Lord in prayer, and then Pastor Mike, if you'd come with communion, please. Lord, we look to you now tonight, and we just think of Babylon and all week, Lord, it's gone around in my mind about um, Babylonian culture and what it means and the destructiveness of it and the lives that are hurt and the lives that are ruined. And we, even as Christians, can dabble in it if we're not careful with the distractions that it causes. Hopefully we'd never fall into the, the gross immoralities of it that would lead to to really just even having to wonder about our own conversions and salvation and church discipline exists for those reasons. But Lord, we know that we can fall into Babylonian culture too and become discouraged or become complacent. And Father, help us to instead look to Christ, to trust Christ, to always trust Christ. You're on the throne, you're ruling and you're reigning today. And one day you will reign and rule without an enemy. But that day is not here yet, Father. And so the enemies of God are active. We thank you for the restraint of sin that you cause and that you, that you actually mandate and allow. Thank you even for the way that you do it. Lord, sin such an ugly creature. We have no idea how horrible and terrible it is, but it's a direct affront against you. So, Lord, we look to you, and we trust you, and we thank you for Jesus Christ, the only Savior of sinners. Lord, we thank you, those of us that know him, that we do know you, Father, and that you are our great God, and we can look to you. So, bless us now, tonight. May Jesus Christ receive for himself the glory. In his name we pray. Amen.